0: Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. I'm Kathy Havas, your host, and today we're going to talk to Kayla Foley and Joe Howard, co-founders of Staff on Tap, a digital marketplace that instantly fills long-term care providers' scheduling needs by connecting them to temp nurses in the area. We're excited to hear the story of how they came up with the idea, what motivates them to focus on this problem, and what inspires them as entrepreneurs. To find out more about Entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. So welcome, Kayla and Joe. We're so glad that you could be with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Kathy. We're excited to talk with you about Staff on Tap.
0: Great. So I wondered first if you could just give us your 30-second elevator pitch about Staff on Tap and what it's all about.
1: Sure. There's a national shortage of nurses working in long-term care, and it has only gotten worse. During COVID-19, what we found is that while nurses don't want full-time positions in nursing homes, they are interested in making extra money through picking up flexible, temporary shifts. Staff on Tap is a digital marketplace that connects these temporary nurses with understaffed nursing homes at an affordable price.
0: That's great. And I know from listening to you pitch this idea at other events that you have personal connections to this idea.
1: I've worked in nursing homes since the 7th grade. I'm the third generation in my family of nursing homes. And um so I was previously a nursing home administrator and the staffing shortages are really the root cause of a poor quality of care for poor staff satisfaction, and the overall operational struggles. So staffing has really been the forefront issue in nursing homes for the last decade. So it definitely is a problem that's near and dear to me, and I've seen it from kind of the ground up. And so I actually developed this concept from a college paper that my now-fiancé wrote. It was a business plan that he didn't end up going through with. And I said, you know what, that's a really good idea. And so over this past year, Joe and I have been doing a lot of customer discovery, tweaking the business model and really validating a lot of hypotheses to get us where we are today with our MVP and a couple exciting things coming down the pipeline.
2: Yeah, so I actually come from a family of nurses. My mom is a registered nurse. She's also one of six women. In her house. And of those six daughters, uh, she is, I guess, the fifth registered nurse. So as a result of that, I have exposure to, you know, nursing, the nursing industry, and not only that, but the staffing within the nursing industry. So I think just being a part of this startup and just really figuring out ways to provide opportunities and to provide staffing solutions for these understaffed nursing facilities is very important to me because my family and uh, people that are very near and dear to me are directly affected by this. So I'm just very proud to be a part of something that can provide solutions for them.
0: That's great. So I wonder, I know you said that this has been a problem for decades, but I wonder if the pandemic has made it even worse, or if you think maybe people are at least aware of how serious the problem is, not only nursing homes, but everywhere, and how the pandemic might have changed your, has it changed your business at all?
1: Yeah, the pandemic definitely made it worse. You know, we had a lot of nurses who were maybe going to retire in the next five years, but they were now scared to come to work. They were in a more vulnerable population, and so they ended up retiring early, so we lost those, as well as we were doing twice-a-week testing, and so our nurses would get sick and then would have to be out for 11 days, so it definitely made the staffing crisis a lot worse. However, there's also a silver lining that it showed the country, the world, that nursing homes have been struggling with staff, and that's a big part of the reason why we can't provide the highest quality of care possible. Um, So I think it did open this window of opportunity for people like Joe and I to come in and bring some innovation, you know, kind of disrupt the industry a little bit and help this staffing problem in ways with technology that may not have been accepted or as forefront attention that it would have been two years ago.
0: And how did you two decide that creating a marketplace like this would be
1: the way to
0: solve this problem?
1: Joe, do you want to start with this one? I would say I am
2: more so on the supporting side for these nurses and nursing homes.
0: Talk a little bit about where you are in your business right now. I know you said you're making a lot of progress and you've been doing a lot of customer discovery. How do things stand now and where where are things coming in the next six months or so?
1: Yeah, we're at a really exciting point. You know, I think eLabs moved us along quickly. It it is an accelerator. And so right now we have our MVP, which is a website platform. And we currently have 43 Connecticut nursing professionals on there. And we also have 22 nursing homes in Connecticut that are our first adopters. And so our next move, which is very exciting, is we're going to do a pilot in upcoming months with 10 of our nurses and 20 of our nursing homes. And so right now, we're really just kind of getting all of our legal documents, our HR side, getting everyone excited about it so that we can pilot this and collect real data, get our nurses excited about Staff on Tap and the official launch. And so that's kind of where our heads are focused right now is on this pilot. But in the next six months, we will be looking for investment. We want to grow quick and big. And we are going to need funding to get those recruitment dollars out there and create our final app product. So that's kind of what our next six months are going to look like. It's going to be fast paced, but very fun. So I can't wait.
0: That's great. And you're doing this at the same time as you're both getting degrees at Cornell. And Joe, you mentioned that you're in engineering. And Kayla, can you talk a little bit about what you're studying
1: Sure. I'm in the MBA program. It's the AMBA, so it's an accelerated MBA, just a 12-month program of um, you kind of hit the ground running in May and you don't stop until the next May. So we're both graduating in this upcoming May.
0: And did you both come to school thinking that you might get into some kind of a startup or did this kind of happen after you arrived here and started your studies? So it's funny when I
2: decided to come to Cornell in person after being in their online engineering management program for one year, I did not think at all about joining the entrepreneurship lab or any entrepreneurship club because I didn't know that that was available. So upon coming on campus. And just meeting people, you know, seeing those desks outside in the quad, and just like seeing the different people talking about the different groups that we've got here on campus, it piqued my interest um, specifically in ELAB. I've always been a very entrepreneurial spirit at my undergrad. For example, I was a part of Blackstone Launchpad, so I'm just very, very happy and grateful to continue that here at Cornell in their ELAB program. So I guess in short, to answer your question, if I came to school knowing that this is what I wanted to do, yes, I knew this is what I want to do, but I didn't know. And honestly, I didn't even think that this is what I would be doing, but I'm extremely happy that I am.
0: How about you, Kayla? Is that one of the reasons you came back for an MBA or were you thinking differently?
1: Yeah, so in the fall of twenty twenty, I was in my second year getting my master's of public health at the Yale School of Public Health. And I thought I wanted to go into government work in senior care. I thought that's maybe where I could make the biggest difference. But I was also interested in entrepreneurship. And so I was deciding whether to apply to Johnson or go in a government job. And I made the decision to go to Johnson. So I didn't have the staff on tap idea that fall. I kind of had a million different other startup ideas, but When I made that decision to go to Johnson, I knew I was going to use this year to build a business and graduate with a business. Um, So prior to the program, I talked to as many people as I can, Marla, who was previously in the e-lab and a couple other alumni, just to see how I could maximize my time at this school for this year. So I did know I was going to try and start a business at least while I was here.
0: So you've both mentioned Elab, but for people who don't know what Elab is, can you talk a little bit about how Elab has helped you or other organizations on campus that have helped you, other resources or mentors? What's this process for being part of Elab and what does that involve?
1: Elab is a year-long accelerator program. You get class credit, dozens of mentors, some funding, and just really a support and timeline to build your business. So you apply in an interview in the fall, and it's intimidating. Most people, I think, haven't pitched their business idea yet. And you can really be at any stage. You could be at the ideation phase. We have some people who already had a product on the market, and you just have a conversation with the professors, and then they choose, I think this year was 24 teams. And then, yeah, just a very structured process throughout the year to help you grow your business. And they just want you to succeed. It's a lot of self-accountability. If you graduate and your business isn't at the right space, that's on you. It's really just a platform to give you all the resources, tools, opportunities to get that business to succeed. So it's been an incredible program. I can't boast about it enough.
2: So eLab is such a fantastic program. They're not only focused on helping you to grow your business, create a business, but they're also mainly focused on just developing you as a professional, as an entrepreneur, as a person. And that's what I love about eLab. So I always love to share my story. I ended up joining eLab with a business idea and the business idea was not chosen to be a part of eLab because I guess the people that are a part of eLab, they are very experienced entrepreneurs themselves, and they already saw issues potentially with the operations and the development of the business that I had suggested over the course of the program. However, from what they had shared with me, they believed in me, They believed that I would be able to support a fellow entrepreneur to build their business. And that is something that always has stuck with me. The fact that even though they didn't accept the business that I had suggested to be a part of the program, they accepted me. It just really sat very, very well with me. For that, I'm forever grateful. And I recommend eLab to anybody that's interested in entrepreneurship.
0: That's great. Yeah. I do think that it's really competitive to get into eLab. I can't remember the number of companies or business teams that apply, but it's a a big number. So you should feel honored that you are involved in that in some way. That's that's awesome. And are there other resources on campus that are other than eLab that you've taken advantage of? Like, I'm assuming at the MBA program, you're taking some classes. Are there any other clubs? And what are some of the benefits of eLab other than the really formal things? Like, have you really met a lot of other students involved in projects that might have given you advice? Talk a little bit about that.
1: The classes are a really nice supplement to eLab. Things like negotiations, where it kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone. Johnson offers a lot of those. Business, Idea Factory, there's really, I mean, you could make your entire class list around how to start a business and use these courses to help you. What I found with eLab is that yes, it's a structured program, but it also connected us to a group of entrepreneurs that I wouldn't have met otherwise. It's across all different schools, ages, genders, races. It's a really diverse group of people who are going through a lot of the same emotions. You know, Every week it feels up and down and up and down. And so there's other people to talk to about that that are in the process with you. And so it feels like a little club or a secret world inside of Cornell that's this small group and it's it's a really special place I've never been a big club person so I'm not as involved in clubs as Joe is she's much better than I am but eLab it feels like our little our little club
0: I think a lot of people would agree with that from past. Lab members too. So what do you think about each of you draws you to become an entrepreneur rather than working for a big company? And both of you have had experience, you know, working in other places. What do you think makes you want to have your own business?
1: I had my first taste of entrepreneurship in the sixth grade. I owned a candy machine in the local bowling alley. And with that, I learned how to do inventory, how to track my cash, how to figure out, you know, what the best candy was for kids. And I even had to deal with a manager stealing money from me in the seventh grade. So I've always loved running my own business. And now it's more evolved to something I'm more passionate about. But Every six months, I, I start thinking, okay, should I just go into consulting? Should I go into hospital administration? That sounds so much more concrete and job security. But I don't know if I'd be as passionate about it. Um, working in my family business, you know, everything I do is kind of upholding the legacy that my grandmother built 60 years ago. And starting this business with staff on tap, it's really on me whether it succeeds or fails. And I don't know if I could have that passion, excitement, sometimes anxiety and stress that I don't think I would have that in a more formal corporate job. So I don't see myself going back from the entrepreneurial world. But maybe in six months, I'll start looking at Indeed again.
2: And Kathy, so I've worked in manufacturing for roughly three years. Um, I've worked at multiple manufacturing plants across the United States. Let's start off with talking about the schedule. The fact that I had to be somewhere at a certain time, I had to leave by a certain time. Sometimes I found myself trying to rush to work to get to work before my boss. (laughs) I found myself trying to rush or stick around and find random things to do so I can leave after my boss. It's like living a life like that, so restricted, right? was just something that didn't sit well with me. Also, typically I've worked in uh, places that had very high restrictions like pharmaceutical companies where we were not able to come in and provide creative suggestions and changes to the processes that they've already had in place for years. Working in environments like me, that, especially you know as an engineer, it was just very restrictive. I just didn't feel as though I could be as analytical as I wanted to, as creative as I wanted to. And I didn't like that it was not welcome. And that's something that I felt, or at least I believe that we were taught in school. So it was just really shocking for me to experience that when I went into the work field so as a result i just felt like i would prefer to do my own thing to work as an entrepreneur to provide creative solutions to problems uh, that we have on a regular basis in addition to that i wanted to transition more into tech entrepreneurship as opposed to you know um, manufacturing etc so uh, that's pretty much kind of like how i kind of made that transition from working for someone to wanting to work on my own. I just don't want to be as restrictive. And I want to be as creative as I know that I can be.
0: And I feel like with both of you, you have these family and extended family connections to this topic that obviously makes you passionate about it. You know, so you have people that are counting on you to make a difference. Is that inspiring? I'm sure these nurses that you've talked to already are probably excited about this opportunity and the nursing homes would be thrilled to have some solution to this problem. So I wonder if that's a lot of, you know, good pressure, if that's a lot of kind of scary pressure and how that affects like how you get up every day and think about what your mission is.
1: Yeah, for me, I, it's a good pressure. I think I'm in a really unique position where I know what it's like as an owner operator of nursing homes. I've been a nursing home administrator. I've been a public health advocate, long-term care reform advocate, and I empower nurse advocate. So I think I have a lot of different backgrounds that I'm in a unique position where I can make a big difference. I can improve the staffing And empower the nurses, but I can also improve the quality of care for patients. And what I've kind of seen in the past is from the government to the public health, to the nursing home operators, to the nurses, it's very disconnected. They all want the same thing, but sometimes incentives, knowledge, everything is misaligned a bit. And so it feels a good pressure that I'm in a situation that I can make this difference. And, you know, there aren't many people that have grown up in their family business of nursing homes since they were six. And so it feels like a lot of pressure at some times, but I know that I can make a big difference and that really gets me up in the morning and makes me run to the computer and start working on this business.
2: I agree with Kayla. It's definitely a good type of pressure. I know when I brought up the business idea to my aunt, actually, she is a traveling nurse and I just brought up like the entire, you know, strategy that the business is going for, which is providing nurses with additional opportunities to make more money, even though they are full-time nurses. She just loved that. She was very much so excited for this business to grow and i think even at one point she even messaged me reached out to me asking me hey like where are you in the process like when will i be able to use it and i can already see that nurses are very much so interested in this business um, and what it provides
0: so kayla i'm assuming your family nursing home is one of the ones that'll be involved in the pilot is that true or are they not involved in that
1: yeah they absolutely are they're so excited we have 20 nursing homes in Connecticut, and. They've struggled with staffing, and so I was actually just in Wyoming last week, and in the paper was the headline, Connecticut Nursing Homes at War with Temp Staffing Agencies because of the price gouging, and so they're very excited a lot of the nursing homes in Connecticut, not just my family, is that we're coming up with a solution that isn't going to bankrupt them. So we absolutely will use those 20 nursing homes in the pilot. And then we have about 60 other nursing homes that will quickly get on board with us that are interested. Uh, So hopefully we can move fast and bring this solution to benefit the nurses, as well as the nursing homes and the patients, of course.
0: And this is a problem across the country, not just obviously in Mm -hmm. the Northeast or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So you could expand it quickly to include a whole bunch of different states. Are there all kinds of different regulations in different states that you'd have to learn or jump over? Or is it pretty standardized across the country that it would be easy to scale?
1: It would be pretty easy to scale. Um, There's some different paperwork. I mean, nursing homes are incredibly regulated, but we would be treated as a staffing agency. And so we would just have to make sure that you know our nurses are high quality, have the right certifications, have the right training, and then we can contract with the nursing homes. But I guess I'm used to dealing with the nursing home regulations, so to me it's like, oh, this is you know this is nothing. But I'm sure from someone who isn't used to those healthcare regulations, it still seems pretty heavy. But for this industry across borders, is not too different. Just like some workforce things we'll need to keep an eye on in the business model.
0: Lots of things to look into. So I'd like to switch a little bit and ask some questions about each of you and learn a little bit more about what makes you tick. I think it's always interesting for people listening to know a little bit about like what kind of a person decides they're going to be an entrepreneur and what kind of qualities or what kind of things do they do that make them successful. So maybe you could each talk a bit about if you have a personal mission statement that you think about as something that guides you and it could be something related to this business or just about your life in general.
2: I went to a school back when I was in middle school. It was called IS383 or Philippa Schuyler Middle School for the Gifted and Talented. And from the day that we stepped foot in that school, they had us recite this motto and it went like this. To whom much is given much is required we were reciting this until the day that we graduated and it has stuck with all of us up until now so uh, this is something that i hold very dear to me and i i don't know i look at this mission statement as a way to help me to continue to push to provide solutions for people that don't have easy access i think uh, good leaders must first become good servants I make it a habit or I make it a goal in my life to serve others um, and just provide solutions again to those that probably don't have that easy access.
0: That's a great one. What a wonderful middle school slogan, you know, that's brilliant. Yeah. How about you, Kayla?
1: Yeah, Joe, that was so lovely. Um, I, that was my first time hearing that, but I, I loved that. Um, mine's maybe too practical or um, specific, but Just everything I do in terms of entrepreneurship um, or even my professional, personal life or family business, I want to make sure that I'm improving care for the seniors and breaking the mold so that we don't stay with the status quo that isn't benefiting any of the stakeholders in long-term care. So. I think, you know, I wake up every day and what gets me motivated is knowing that everything I'm doing, I can improve the quality of care and I can improve nurse job satisfaction and I can make the operations smoother for the owners and the administrators. So not as beautiful as Joe's, but that yeah, I would say that's the closest thing to my mission statement that I have.
0: Right. Well, I would say improving care for seniors is pretty beautiful. (laughs) Thanks. That's a pretty lovely mission. You mentioned that's what helps you get up in the morning is thinking about that. And that was one of my questions later on. So Joe, maybe you could tell me like what makes you get up in the morning? And I'd love to know like just really like literally what you do first thing in the morning. Like when you get up in the morning, are you early risers? Do you have this, you know, routine that you follow that really helps you get your day going? Are you calendar kind of people? Or, you know, what kind of things do you use that really help you manage your life?
2: Great question. And what wakes me up? I think just the excitement of what the day has to offer. Every single day you learn something new, you potentially meet someone new um, and it just makes your life all the more better. I heard a quote recently by an actress, her name escapes me at this moment, but she said that if I'm waking up every day, that means that my job on earth has not been completed. So that's something that I really, really related with. And that's something that I also agree with. I feel like there's a purpose for me. So uh, I guess I'm waking up with hopes of fulfilling that purpose.
0: That's awesome. How about you, Kayla? What's your schedule like in the morning?
1: I'm a very early riser. I always have been. So I send an alarm, but I always wake up before it. I also have two little French bulldogs, so they do not let you sleep in. So I first take them on a walk and then immediately open my computer, have some coffee in my PJs, and start working. My brain works from about 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. and then just goes downhill from there. So definitely that that morning couple hours is my time to focus in on my computer and get as much work as I can done. Yeah, but I definitely need a lot of coffee, too.
0: Do you both have certain tools, digital tools or physical tools that you use that you've found really helpful, like apps or are you like paper and pencil kind of calendar list people or what kinds of things do you use that you really have found to be helpful?
1: Yeah, I use a, a physical calendar still. I can't wean off of it from the probably sixth grade. I'm very paper and pen. You know, we tried making a Trello board and it was beautiful and very detailed, but my brain just doesn't work on it. That way I need to be able to physically cross things off and write them down as soon as something comes in my head, not, you know, two hours later when I'm on my computer. So I would say that. And then also horseback riding. I Lisa a horse in Ithaca, and it's the one time I can't think about anything else. You know, if you're going over a jump and you're thinking about the pitch we're going to be giving in a week, you're not going to do so well. So that horseback riding has been a really great breath during the day to really refresh my mind. And then when I do start working, I come back refreshed and focused. So those are kind of my, my two little secrets that help me get through the day.
0: And you're not just horseback riding, but you're jumping on horses. You're not just like trotting along.
1: Right. (laughs) It's
0: a little more challenging. And Kayla, what about you? Are you a pen and pencil person or are you more electronic?
2: Yeah, so I'm definitely a pen and pencil person. I think that I'm writing things down helps me to remember things better. However, I have found that I have been leaning more towards digital methods of of keeping track of my day-to-day tasks. So I'll put a whole bunch of alarms in my calendar and I'll just depend on that. And I guess like other tools that I use to make my life easier, I exercise almost every single day. And it's not even to stay in shape, to be honest. I think that whenever I exercise, I naturally feel happier. And I just feel more energized. And I like that feeling. It's like a, I don't know, just a, A very good feeling for me. And then also networking. I love, love, love being mentally stimulated. And I think that just uh, having coffee chats like the ones that I have with the entrepreneurial woman that I'm in the club with really stimulate my mind because one thing that I do stand by and I do 100% agree with is no matter who you meet, you can always learn something from that person, even when you don't think that you can. So um, I just love just uh, consistently networking and just learning new things about uh, different topics, whether they're entrepreneurial related or not.
0: That's great. And are the women in your group all ages? or Are they all graduate students or um, are there some undergrads in there too?
2: Yeah, so they're all grad students. They're in a variety of different grad programs. So I'm in engineering management. There are a few in the MBA program. There are a few in economics master's and a couple in the management master's program. So the group is pretty diverse and there are multiple women, but we're for the most part all master's students.
0: It's nice to have all those different opinions and ideas to contribute together. I'm sure you learn a lot from each other. So you mentioned horseback riding, which is kind of cool, Kayla. And one of my questions was, what is one thing that most people would be surprised to find out about you? And maybe it's the horseback riding, but maybe you have some other very interesting talent or side hustle or some other interesting thing about you. So how about that?
1: Well, I think one when I went into college, my undergrad at Boston College, I thought I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. So I... went in and my degree was going to be in teaching. But my first year there, I realized I was really bad at those classes and did not like them. So then I went kind of other spectrum of the age range and focused my major on seniors. So that my original career path is going to be with children.
2: Yeah. And for me, I originally decided to go to college for broadcasting and mass comm because I had this huge dream to be on CNN one day and then I ended up studying abroad, I was exposed to different types of people and different things. And I was like, you know what, I want to study chemical engineering. So I came back and I did that. That's pretty much like my kind of shift. It was a big shift. It still surprises even me to this day. But it was worth it, because that shift has allowed me to explore that entrepreneurial route, just because of the diverse background that I have, I can explore the entrepreneurial route from a communications perspective, as well as an engineering perspective. So it just kind of helps me to be more well rounded.
0: Right, that's great. That is a really interesting concept combination, both of you, for going from elementary to seniors and communications to chemical engineering. You must have some good right brain, left brain things (laughs) going on there. So think about throughout your life some advice that you've been given, either good or bad. And I would love to hear some of the potentially best advice that you think you've been given that might be helpful to other entrepreneurs and maybe some, if you have any, of the worst advice that you're happy that you didn't take.
1: The best advice I was given was to start a business in graduate school. When the person said it to me, I was like, no way. I mean, they're just saying that because it worked out for them. But really this past year doing it confirmed that that was the best advice. It's the most risk-free time. I mean, you already don't have a job. You're broke eating ramen. So why not start a business? And if it doesn't work out, you still have this degree on your resume and can apply to other jobs or start a new startup. And so starting a business and kind of pursuing that passion while in school Your grades might suffer a little bit, but was absolutely the best advice. In terms of bad advice, I, you know, nothing really horrible advice comes to mind. And it's probably because if it was that bad, I I didn't spend too much time thinking it through and trying to do it. But that's definitely the piece of advice I'd like to pass on to any student who's considering starting a business in school.
2: And for me, the best advice that I've ever received in life happens to also be the worst advice that I've ever received. So at one point in college, I was just having a very stressful time, very hard time. And, you know, whenever you're taking a whole bunch of classes, there's always, or I guess in my case, there's always one or two classes that just fall behind. I'm so excited to do all the other ones, but then there are just those other ones that take a lot of time and I just am never really able to put in as much effort and I probably am not as enthusiastic about those classes as the others. So that was chemistry for me one year. It was probably halfway through the semester. My professor comes up to me and he goes, yeah, you should probably just drop out of this course, take it another time because this semester it's yeah you're already so far along you haven't done what you had to do it's just not looking good so i asked the professor i said am i definitely gonna fail or is there anything that i can do he says well i mean you can make up the assignments that you've missed however i don't know if that would even be possible long story short i was able to dedicate uh, much more time than i've been dedicating the whole entire semester to this class and i was able to come out with an a minus Just as a result of me just doing hard work, staying in consistent communication with the professor and just trying to make sure that what this professor told me did not actually happen. So it was good advice in the sense where it kind of pushed me to be my best self. But it also was bad advice because just like imagine if I listened to that then I wouldn't have seen myself push through this and be resilient in the end. So that essentially is my best and worst advice. And I guess the what I take from that is you can do whatever you put your mind to. Don't listen to those around you because nobody knows you better than you know yourself.
0: Right. And you prove to yourself that you can handle that situation You know, when someone else might not have believed that you could have. If you have a little bit of time, do you do any reading? Do you like to read any books? Do you read mostly work that, relates to what you're either studying or you're working on your business, or do you actually find some time to do some reading that is not related to that?
1: I do a lot of driving five hours from Ithaca back to Connecticut, and then the 20 to 30 minute walks to class. So I've been into audiobooks, and one that I've been going through is the Game of Thrones series. Each book is about 33 hours, so I have a lot ahead of me, but I try to listen to audiobooks kind of whenever I have a free moment. And that one's fantastic. It's this one man who does about 100 different voices. So I listened to that. And then also this other book I found on the Reese Witherspoon book club, The Last Thing He Told Me, which is more of a silly murder mystery, but a nice break during the day when you're walking to class, something a little lighter to listen to.
2: I'm very much so into self-help books. So one of the self-help books that I am reading right now, or at least attempting to read at this time is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Ever since I've been a part of engineering management, I found myself being extremely vocal and I don't know, I'm always networking. So I want to make sure that I'm networking in the most pleasing or acceptable ways. I don't know. I just want to make sure that I'm communicating with different people of different backgrounds in the best ways that I could. So that's why I found that this book was probably one of the best books to read. And then this winter break, I had the pleasure of visiting Nigeria. And upon coming, they immediately spoke to me about Chimamanda, the writer. And one of her top selling books that has won awards is called Americana. So I'm in the process of reading this book as well. It's, fiction story based on a Nigerian immigrant living in America. And I am just very interested in seeing that perspective, especially considering that I am American. I've been born here. That's all that I know. So I would love to see that perspective from somebody else, the American perspective from somebody else.
0: One last question what do you consider your greatest success so far in your life? And then how how will you know when Step on Tap is a success? At what point will you think, you know, wow, I've really made a, a huge difference?
1: This is a, a tough question for me. I, maybe I'm being a little superstitious, but I, if I say this is my greatest success, it's kind of like peaking in high school. But I would say something I'm most proud of that I've done is to get myself where I'm sitting here today with all these opportunities, tools, and resources at my fingertips to build a business that I'm extremely passionate about. Growing up in high school and even undergrad, you know, it's never one of those people who can just take a test and do well. I always had to study extremely hard. And so getting myself through the Yale School of Public Health and now the Cornell MBA program, it was not easy. I've cried many times over biostatistics and my first time taking accounting. But That hard work got me to where I am right now, which is in a really great situation to pursue staff on tap and bring it to fruition.
2: My greatest success is very similar to Kayla's in the sense where, you know, you have to work really, really hard to achieve certain things in life. And you've got a whole bunch of people around you that probably don't appear to be working as hard. So. That's something that I had to push through my entire life. And again, like I was fortunate enough to be able to come to Cornell, to be able to be a part of eLab, to be able to work with Kayla and staff on tap and to um, even know Kayla and just, you know, have this experience. Like I'm just so, so grateful for that. And it is all due to hard work. I do appreciate that I am continuously pushing forward despite the obstacles that I have faced. But pretty much I do think that My biggest success is the hard work that I've put forward.
0: Tell people how they can find out more about Staff on Tap or how could they get in touch with you or find out more?
1: Absolutely. We love connecting with people, whether they want to talk about our business, their business, they're looking at coming to Cornell, eLab, investors, all of the above, they are welcome to email us directly. My email is kf282 at cornell.edu. And they can also find us on LinkedIn. We're both very active on there and we'll respond quickly. But yeah, I know we'd love if they want to join our team, anything. We really love talking about staffing and nursing homes and entrepreneurship. So we really encourage anyone to reach out.
2: Definitely. And my email is jh 665 at Cornell.edu. And like Kayla said, reach out to us for anything. You want to talk about Staff tap. You want to talk about your business. You want to talk about getting into Cornell. You want to talk about horseback riding. Just reach out to us. <laughs> we are always open to networking and just meeting fellow Cornelians. We're just fellow entrepreneurs that love to
0: learn. Thanks so much, Kayla and Joe, for visiting with us today at Startup Cornell.
1: Thank you so much, Kathy. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you so much, Kathy, for your time today. And I
2: hope that anybody that listens to this podcast is motivated to explore any entrepreneurial endeavors
0: that they may have. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. And please rate and review our podcast by scrolling to the bottom of this episode and sharing your thoughts. Your reviews will help even more entrepreneurs find our podcast and be inspired by these stories. A special thanks to Abigail Younger, my editor extraordinaire, and to Bert Odom Reed of the Cornell Broadcast Studio.